You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. In today's episode, we're exploring Paul's advice to slaves and masters. It's a complicated situation, but while it seems so different from our day, slaves and masters in the first century, Pastor Jim actually believes that the advice still matters for us too. We take a closer look at Paul's opinion of slavery, how Christianity impacted slavery in the ancient world, and why our attitudes about life and work matter, especially in ministry. It is a conversation about the context of the ancient world, but it's also a conversation about the complexity of our own day. I found this conversation to be really historically interesting, but also personally helpful. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And as always, thanks for listening. Well, Pastor Jim, it's good to be together again and continuing our work through Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. And we are opening up the final chapter, chapter six this week. Um, man, it's been such a helpful series of conversations and really enjoyable just working through scripture. And so I'm excited because there's there's a lot still in the last chapter to go. Yeah, it's nice to see you again, Chase. There's been fun conversations working through this. We never know. You, you uh, We approach this by uh, you reading what I've written and then uh, you script questions uh, for me to take a look at and Sometimes we get to all the questions, sometimes we Sometimes don't. we deviate. So, so we yeah. appreciate our audience tolerance for the free flow nature of some of this. But um, we, uh, I, I just love getting into the text and um, seeing it through your eyes and reflecting with everybody. And we come to an interesting one today where he kind of addresses the institution of slavery, mm-hmm. which is an offensive evil. But yeah, um, he does some funny things with it around honor. Yeah, well, I want to get into it. You you set it up right too. So um, you because I have I've read through what you've written on this, and you specifically write that this topic of honor, which we're going to get into specifically here, talking about slaves and masters. But you think this is one of the major themes that runs all the way through Paul's advice for the whole letter. That honor is at the center of of some of these important things he's trying to help Timothy understand in his work there in Ephesus. I think Paul under, unpacks the why behind the what of honor. Uh, better in Philippians, more, like more fully in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, uh, consider others as greater than yourselves. It, that would be, to me, an honor statement, honor one another. In fact, some translations, I think, say honor honor others above yourself. Yeah, particularly in a culture where all that's kind of predetermined for you, right? Who's right. honorable, who's above, who's below. Like, that seems pretty fixed. So it is really an interesting thing for Paul yeah. to say. In our culture, it does get pretty pretty fixed, uh, connected to position. So a church that says we're really trying to develop a culture of honor usually means that, you know, we honor our pastoral leadership. And I'm fine with that. I think that's good. I worry I worry that that can almost cross the line into that celebrity culture, um, you know, almost worship of, of a leader because they have a position. And I get uncomfortable with that. There are some places the honor culture thing takes us that I'm not real comfortable with in the church. But yet, but yet, uh, Paul is relocating this whole issue of honor. It's not just those who have positional authority. It's not just those who rank higher than others in our society. It's totally Jesus. And then he 
because then he uses Jesus as the example in Philippians 2 and says, for instance, he thought it not robbery, robbery to be God himself, to be equal with God, and yet he let that go to come under us, to lift us up and to serve us and to die for us on the cross. And and he says, so that mind, after saying you ought to honor one others as greater than yourself, he said, he said, that's the mind of Christ. So that actually the mind of Christ. So that's the why behind the what here. It it's it's all generated not in political position, um, organizational position, social status, economic status, educational status, it has nothing to do with that. He said that you as a as a follower of Jesus you carry the Jesus attitude towards others that honors them as greater than yourselves. In other words, you're willing to lay your life down for the good of other people. You're not saying lose yourself. He's not saying have no boundaries, all those complicated things. But he he is saying there is an attitude of honor that every human being in our life, whether richer or poor, more educated or less educated, um, that and I'm the lead pastor of a fairly large church, but, you know, it's my role as a follower of Jesus to honor the people around me, even though they don't have the position I have. And and it's the Jesus attitude, who thought it not ob- robbery to be equal with God, but took on the form of a servant. And 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 so, so through First Timothy, I, I think that's the that's the ethic. He doesn't quite unpack it in those words in First Timothy, but he, he he does talk about all these relationships that take place, and how he's got to correct false doctrine and lace through all of that is this idea that we have this Jesus ethic towards each other. We look at each other through the eyes of honor, through lifting one another up, through even being willing to sacrifice personal rights in order to serve and benefit other people. You connected in the chapter to this broader idea, too, about attitudes, that at the center of what Paul's doing is he's he's yeah. sort of adjusting attitudes within the church, which feels very elementary, but you actually think there's something really substantial to this idea of the attitude we bring uh, as followers of Jesus into these various relationships and situations. Right. I tell my own staff team, you you know, you lead in attitude before you lead in behavior. Um, I, I, and kind of lately, I like saying, there's one thing that's more contagious than COVID-19. We were just talking about a mutual friend who caught COVID this week again. Um, but, you know, there's one thing more contagious than COVID-19, and that's your attitude. Your attitude leads in many ways. It's very contagious. People will tend to catch your attitude before they'll even start following your behavior. And, uh, and we, you know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I mean, he really loves people. He loves people that hate him. He loves people that want to serve him. He just loves people. That's why he sent his son and we've got to do the same thing. We we can't afford to go on and on just constantly cynical and distrusting of people. Not that we trust everybody, but in general, we've got to we've got to have Jesus' eyes for people, which I think are eyes of of love. Their eyes to honor people in the sense that we want their best, even if it costs me something. I want their best. And and if if you're 
If you're passing a church where most people are pretty cynical about the new visitor, they're pretty destruct, distrusting about what new people will do to your church. Uh, they're, they're just suspicious of people that, that that's an example of, of, of a kind of attitude that will totally quench the work of the Holy Spirit. If, if people, if people are more focused on quarreling and being divided than being united with one another, I think for us to keep an attitude of unity, to work hard, as Paul says in, in Ephesians 4, maintaining the bond of peace in, in unity, uh, it, 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 part of that comes down to our attitudes towards each other. You know, I'm not going to look at people, I'm not going to demonize people as my enemy just because I disagree with them or just because they want the church to go this way and I want the church to go that way. I mean, we, we we would have a lot less church fights if we just honored one another and had the right attitude, had a Jesus attitude to each other. I mean, my brother, my sister in Christ, they're precious. They're they're, they're valuable. Uh, they're created in the image of God. I want to handle them with care because they're created in the image of God. And 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 how you look at people uh, has you know becomes a fountainhead of every of the way you treat them uh, and whether you can have unity together uh, and whether you're an open vessel for the work of God's spirit through your life. So I just think attitude is really important. I, I, I do, I, I do think of a part of the church of a church has a bad attitude. I'll probably give the leader of that ministry the benefit of the doubt at first, but ultimately I am going to look at the leader. I just know that, I mean, it's just too true attitudes are contagious and when you've got a pocket of the church that is really has a has a bad attitude a lot of times inevitably you're going to find a ringleader whose attitude is um, spreading to everybody else you mentioned in the beginning that paul takes this up in the context of a question about slavery um it's interesting paul paul does not come to chapter six specifically to say here are my views on slavery the reason we started where we started is because he really comes into the topic talking about honor and attitude in this question of slavery. Maybe we could set that up um, by you describing a little bit of the context, the historical context for what Paul's writing to when it comes to this topic in First Timothy 6. We today would consider modern-day slavery a great evil. Uh, 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, it was pretty primary to their economic system. And uh, Dr. Debbie Gill actually gives three really helpful perspectives as to why normally we'd think, because I hear Paul criticized because he doesn't try to dismantle the institution of slavery. If it is an evil, you know, the owning of other people as property for my benefit is totally antithetic to the cross of Jesus in the gospel or to any moral decency. So how, how come he didn't, try to just dismantle it. Yeah, right here. Just drive the nail in to make the point. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact is it was be impossible. It was it was it was just part of the economic system. And sometimes people chose slavery because being a slave, I mean, our connotations are often underappreciated, overworked and beaten on a regular basis. That was not the life of every slave. In fact, many slaves had positions of great privilege and responsibility in a household. And many people chose slavery over freedom because of the security and other benefits it gave them. And so 
it's not like it was this one monolithic bad thing. But Dr. Debbie Gill uh, says probably the three big reasons Paul doesn't just try to dismantle slavery itself or go into the streets carrying signs protesting slavery. I mean, he knew that would be hopeless. Um, she said there's probably three reasons. Number one was that um, was that slavery was so central to the system. You, there's no way one person could dismantle it. Secondly, she said that, um, you know, first century believers believed that Jesus was coming so soon that they knew why fight those kind of social justice fights that are unwinnable anyway, when Jesus is coming soon and we got to get the gospel out. And so he even, he even references in, first, in the beginning of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, you know, have the right attitude towards your master so you don't discredit the gospel. I mean, that trumped other things. Yeah, so it's yeah. almost as if he, the church is so determined that every person should hear the name of Jesus and know Jesus that their mo- their concern is how are masters and slaves behaving so that more people can hear the word of Jesus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have a slave who claims to be a Christian and has a raunchy attitude towards their master and is sloughing off and trying to, try to not do good work, he would say that is not the Christian character. That is not an attitude of honor, even though you may be in the subjugated position. But Jesus gave up heaven to come and suffer on a cross, and that's the attitude we ought to have in us. So he says you're going to discredit the gospel and the heart of the gospel. Um, if if you claim to be a Christian, you've got terrible attitudes towards your master. Uh, Dr. Gill says the third reason is that um, they viewed identity in Christ as being part of the age to come, not the present age. Paul really unpacks this in 1 Corinthians 7, and my wife doesn't wouldn't like this, but he does say, just to make a point, Paul says, um, those of you who are married should live as if you're not married. He said, those of you who buy things should live as if you don't have anything at all. And what's he trying to say? That, you know, I should I should act like I'm a single man again, <laughs> you know, given that and violate my marriage covenant? Of course not. But he is saying our identity belongs to the age that is coming that has begun to break in on the earth through Christ. So we are, our identity is not, am I married or not married? Am I a slave or not a slave? Am I, um, am I rich or am I poor? What class of society am I? Am I a man or am I a woman? Um, am I young or am I old? All of those worldly distinctions are not existent in the age to come. And so, and so he says, we, we just look at each other that way. So in this already but not yet in-between period, uh, where the kingdom to come, God's kingdom won't come in fullness till Jesus returns, still our identity is related to the age to come, not, this, not the categories of this present age. So Dr. Gill would say, uh, you know, slave or master, um, those are present age identifiers that become irrelevant when we find our new identity in Christ and in the age to come. And so, uh, so, you know, they, they just looked at this whole thing differently. Now, now the early church would stand against evil and they had a chance to dismantle slavery. I mean, eventually the church helps to overturn. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's not hard to draw a line from what you just described to 
slavery no longer being plausible for somebody who's a believer. Like right. that, if you're act- once you understand it and you begin to live it out, it does eventually lead to implications that just undermine the whole economic system of the Greco-Roman exactly. world. It just collapses on right. these new values that yeah, are inserted exactly in Christ. Right. So what do you think Paul's overall view on slavery was then? He obviously, I mean, that we know of Paul's not owning slaves. He's not, yeah. he's probably against this, but his focus, as you're saying, is just elsewhere right now. It's yeah. the name of Jesus yeah. and the presentation of the gospel. Yeah, it's like one of our former presidents went to church and someone said, what did the preacher preach on? Preached on sin. Well, what do you say about sin? He's against it. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was about the gist of the sermon. Yeah. He's against it. Yeah, Paul would be, what, what would Paul say about slavery? He's against it. But it's nothing he can change. But he doesn't want people's attitudes, like the attitude of honor, rooted in this present age categories of realities. And so and so he, he tries to Christianize it. He tries to humanize it. And when he can, like... Uh, in the book of Philemon, that one chapter letter he writes, uh, he appeals on the on behalf of Onesimus, who was a runaway slave that belonged to Philemon. And um, he didn't quite say you shouldn't own slaves, but he does appeal to him and saying, I led Onesimus to the Lord and uh, I'm sending him back to you because that's the right thing to do. That's the honor. I want to honor you. That's the right thing to do. But I plead with you that you accept him now, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And some believe that Onesimus later became the bishop of the church of Ephesus. And so um, so Paul sees great re- redemptive possibility here, the, the Christianizing and eventually dismantling of the shell of slavery and the Christianizing of, of, of a view of human dignity and honor that is rooted in the mission of Jesus. Yeah, there's something profound to me that Paul is equally concerned yeah. for the salvation of both slave and master. Yeah, equally concerned, right. And that equality ends up breaking down those differences in the trajectory yes, of it. that's a really, really uh, great implication of, of all of this. He unpacks it a little more in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, where he talks about the slave-master relationship at more length. And and there he says, slaves, don't work hard just when your master is watching you, but even when he's not, do a good job, even when he's not watching you, because your real master is Jesus, because now you you live you live by a different standard. Everything you do is for Jesus, and uh, so work as a slave, as if you were serving Christ, not some master. And then he turns around and said, masters, you better remember this, that. Uh, that both you and that slave have another master, and it's Jesus. And he's the master of you, too. And it just puts it all in perspective. And uh, and, and you can see you can see Paul just taking it then that next step that you just went. You know, slaves need Jesus. Masters need Jesus. We all need the gospel. It doesn't matter. And, and in some ways, a crusade, a single-issue crusade against slavery— would have would have removed Paul from the primary task of evangelism and church planning. And he knew people need to meet Jesus for their lives to be really be transformed. It's more than just t- changing economic and social structures. People need Jesus. 
And he, he was, you're absolutely right. He was equally concerned that slaves and masters meet Jesus. That was the most important thing. What do you do with a passage like this today? Uh, some people might read this and think, okay, well, I'm not a slave nor a master. <laughs> Therefore, this on to the next paragraph. But you actually think that there are lessons we learn, even on our own day, from the, the advice that Paul's passing on here to Timothy for these situations. Right. We would reframe this as an employer-employee relationship. Although I was speaking to a group of college students very from some very progressive universities in our country. And I actually uh, weighed into this. And I thought I gave enough disclaimers, but I must not have. And and, and I really dove into the Ephesians, Colossians text on slaves and masters with them. Um, And I was really talking about their vocational life that was going to be ahead of them. And how you understand vocation as a servant of Jesus. But, um, but, in the in the really progressive mindset that they were steeped in as young adults, this happened just a few years ago. Um, they walked away more offended than than edified, just at the suggestion that that you could make that a comparison. I was, I was somehow yeah. making a comparison, and therefore uh, somehow diminishing the horrendous offense of slavery. So I uh, I put the fear of God in me in talking about these passages, but I I still I still do talk about them because I think there's some universal principles. He says to slaves, like I just said, don't serve Jesus. I mean don't don't serve your master, serve Jesus. I think we can all take that as employees. You know, I got a boss maybe and you know what? I don't, I don't wanna I don't want to give in to mediocrity, just doing barely enough to get by. Because Paul said to slaves, don't just do good when your when your master's walking down the hall and checking on you. Yeah, so you I, I think you're getting at too, like Paul comes into this not just to write about slavery. Yeah. Paul comes into this to write about attitudes. Life attitudes. And in this case, how those attitudes are being right. expressed within yeah. this certain exactly. context. And you're saying we may not be in that context, but we still are tasked with that same calling of attitude that Paul's exactly. writing out of. Exactly. And so you have, you, you have with your employer or your supervisor, the best attitude, the best Christ reflecting attitude, which is viewing yourself theologically and saying, theologically, I don't serve people. I serve Jesus. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do good work for my supervisor as if I was serving Jesus. Paul says that to slaves, except instead of supervisor, he says master. Instead of employee, he says slave. But, but, but he's weaving the Christian ethic into this. He's weaving that, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ too. Though he was equal to God, let go of it. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. Let that mind be in you. That's exactly what he's telling slaves to do. And thank God we don't have slavery anymore, but we do have employers and employees and, and we have workplace and there's got to be leaders in the workplace and, uh, and, and there's got to be workers in the workplace. And so we carry the same Jesus ethic. This is absolutely all about a Christian life attitude. Well, really, really helpful. Um, I want to go to prayer. And my prayer in this specific situation would simply be that we would have those kinds of attitudes that, well, maybe two things. 
uh, first, when we come to difficult portions of Scripture, that we would have the wisdom to discern what is God's Word in them for all places and all times, yes. that um, that we wouldn't find ourselves ever so offended by something in Scripture as to miss what God is offering us in it, uh, knowing that that takes a certain amount of wisdom and humility and patience sometimes with these texts. But in this specific case, too, that that, that sense of the right attitude would be true for us. If you're a pastor listening, if you are working a job that maybe you don't particularly appreciate or enjoy, um, if you do find yourself in frustrating circumstances, situations, that there would be this attitude of Christ-likeness in us. And I'm really struck also in this conversation by that idea of knowing that identity that's still to come and knowing it in such a way that it frees me from the need of proving it or having it here. That there's a powerful idea that even if I'm not that now, that is to come, and that is the eternal reality. And so I can bear things now knowing what's still to come. Man, I want to live out of that attitude, not an attitude demanding, an attitude expecting, an attitude of bitterness. I want that freedom. Thank you, Father, for the kingdom to come. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We thank you that your kingdom, that the new situation we have in Christ, already we taste and someday will come to our world and all of the evil and oppressive systems will be broken and justice will come to our world. But thank you that already we live, we live in that new identity, not defined by the categories of this world, not defined by positions and roles and slots and statuses. But my God, we thank you. We are free in you. We thank you that our identity is in you and we praise you. And I pray that our attitudes will transform, Lord. I pray that we'll have the mind of Christ within us who emptied himself and became a servant and died on a cross so that we could live. Lord Jesus, help us to Honor the people in our lives in that kind of serving way. Give us the right attitudes, Lord. If our attitudes have been not good, uh, God, just forgive us, Lord. And and I, I just pray you'll help us with people who have caught our bad attitudes and help us to see us turn around and give us grace, we pray. And we, we just pray, Lord, as we are, are students of your word, we come to difficult passages like this where, where it seems like there's the tolerance of, 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 of things that are less than ideal, like slavery, that are actually evil. I God, help us to understand as we interpret the text in this difficult text. Help us to understand the ethic of Jesus and, and always come to that and what's being said about the attitudes we ought to have and the heart we ought to have. And uh, I pray you'll make us good students of your word, and I pray you'll sanctify our attitudes and forgive us where they're bad and and renew our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.